you are now listening to the Ancient Health Podcast and In the News mini episode series. These small bite conversations bring a fresh perspective to the breaking topics within natural health and modern medicine, from science and technological advancements to food, biohacking, and modernized natural remedies. This is your trusted place for a fresh perspective of the things that matter most in your life. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is the Ancient Health Podcast. I am so glad that you've joined me for today's episode. We are talking about female hormones and fasting. And I know that if you've spent any amount of time following people in the natural health space, fasting in the last probably 10 years or so has really made a comeback in the space. It's been a tool that has really given a lot of people uh, a pathway and a roadmap to healing in ways that other therapies really haven't been able to do the job. So we know also that fasting has been around for thousands of years. It's, it's a biblical practice. And now I don't know that we're necessarily using it in the way that Jesus used it all the time, which I think there's incredible spiritual application to that. We're going to talk about today how fasting fits the picture of your hormones and what that looks like for your overall health. Know that fasting is, has been a tool that's been around forever, and there are so many different ways that it can benefit you, but there are some nuances, and that's really what this conversation is about, is understanding if you're going to use it, if it is a tool for you, is it really helping? Are you getting all the benefits of it, or could it potentially be disrupting some of your hormones? Hormones are so sensitive, and in today's world, we're living in a time where we are bombarded with stressors, hormones are the first thing to go completely sideways. We see this all the time with women because they're struggling to lose weight or they feel like they have no energy. They've got, you know, they're, they're struggling with perimenopause or menopause and their cycles and fertility all are affected. So it's really important that we understand that if we're going to use this tool, that we need to be knowledgeable about our bodies. So maybe we just start there. How are you feeling in your body today? How are you feeling? Have you asked yourself that question recently? I probably don't ask myself that question enough, but it really should be the basis by which we start making our decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think a lot of times we start looking for, well, what's the tool and what's the product? What's the meal plan? What's the exercise regimen that I need to bring into my life that will give me the byproduct of health that I'm looking for? We rarely look at how are we actually feeling? Do we feel like the habits that we currently have are serving what it is that we desire for our bodies and for our lives? So start there. If you haven't asked yourself that question, it might be a really good place to start and maybe even journal and write some things down. With that in mind, right, we're starting with you. You are individual. You are unique. Everything that we're going to talk about today they're all going to be ways that you can apply fasting and some questions you can ask yourself. You are going to be the only one that really knows how fasting fits into the picture of your life and if it does, if it has a place. And there are seasons where it might not be the best fit. So we're going to start by breaking down those different seasons of life, whether you are a menstruating woman, you're perimenopause, or you're menopausal. They all look different in, in, uh, by way of your hormone, a picture of your hormones. But there are ways that you can integrate fasting that can promote the health benefits. So we know that, that let's just talk about fasting in general. I mean, fasting right now has been trending because it creates what's called cellular autophagy. It's kind of this, I think about it as like a deep cleaning of your body. So if you, you know, you do the surface cleaning, but then like maybe once a quarter or I don't know, once a month or whatever, you have like 
a cleaning team and they do like the baseboards and they're getting the window sills and the light fixtures and all that stuff. Like you're not cleaning that on a daily basis. And if you are, you are a rare breed and I commend your efforts. I am not cleaning those things on a regular basis. But what happens when you fast is that you extend this window of time where you are not consuming food. And when that happens, it allows your body to start detoxing and cleaning things out because it's it requires a lot of energy for your body to show up and do a lot of this cleaning. And in that process, it says, hey, these are disease cells. These are these are cells that are weak, that potentially could manifest into disease or tumors or whatever it is. And they start to clean out. It allows your liver, it allows your gut, all of this stuff to kind of detox. There are actual studies that even show that your gut microbiome can completely shift when there is a fasting practice in place. Now, you usually see this in, in fasting practices that are a little bit longer and bigger windows. If you're just doing like 12 to 14 hours, you might not be getting some of that deep cellular work, but if you did a 24-hour fast, that's huge. Now, you've got to work up to that, so I'm not saying that that's where you need to go in order to be like the cleanest version of you and the most metabolically efficient version of you, but those are health benefits that we have seen in studies that show that your body can actually start to clean out old tissue microbial imbalances, diseased cells, inflammation, all of these things can start to become a little bit more efficient in your body. Now, you may have heard of 16-8 or OMOD, which is one meal a day. There's all these different variations. There's even like keto, you know, so keto kind of came on the scene. I feel like keto and fasting kind of went hand in hand and they still are to some degree. People are eating like sticks of butter and slabs of bacon and, you know, their gut's still kind of a wreck and they can't break down the fats and it creates all kinds of issues. But for some people, it can work. Have you ever seen that meme? I'm, I'm already digressing into a rabbit trail here, but it's like the man, it's it's like a stick figure and the man is like super thin. And then like the woman is standing there and they're eating the same thing. And they're on this like keto, like high fat, high protein diet, like no carbs. And he's like fasting every single day and thriving. And the weight is just melting off his body. And like the woman's like, sweating and having a panic attack and she's like holding on to all of this water weight and fluid and like she's like inflamed and stressed out. Okay, that is kind of a picture of what can happen if you do not fast right. And then you you spiral because right there's nothing worse than trying really hard and then feeling like you actually are getting a worse response. Like you were better off just hitting the Chick-fil-A drive-through than trying to really like tighten down on these fasting windows. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go keto and I'm not going to have any carbs. I'm going to lose all this weight. That really does not fit the pattern of your hormones though as a female. So let's just look at these different cycles. You are making hormones every single day and every single day looks a little bit different. So you've got to be able to tailor your eating patterns to fit your hormones. Now to simplify this, because I don't wanna start splitting hairs here, we've talked about hormones, we've talked about your follicular phase, we've talked about luteal phase and ovulation kind of right down in the middle. We've talked about that on other mini episodes, so I'm not gonna get too much into the cycle, but what I want you to understand is that there are two key hormones here that can be affected by fasting. It's estrogen and progesterone. Now estrogen, think about her as a She's kind of like the older sister and she just doesn't take crap from anybody. Like she's she can handle her own and whatever life throws at her is totally cool. So estrogen is really starting to build in the front half of your cycle. She can handle 
all kinds of stress. Like nothing's going to disrupt her flow. So if you're going to put in a hard workout, if you're going to fast, um, if you're going to uh, take on anything additional that could be a hormetic stressor, right? So like hormetic stressors are things like exercise where it does place a stress burden on your body, a physical stress burden, but it's it's done in a way that actually promotes gains or promotes uh, muscle building. So fasting can be done in much of the same way in that time because you have this buffer of estrogen that can manage stress. The biggest issue with hormones that I see for menstruating women when it comes to fasting is that most women are really stressed out. Their adrenals are bottomed out. They do not have any capacity or flexibility for additional stress because they're they're already past that threshold. Like your body has a checks and balances. And when you get out of sync on these checks and balances, that's where your body says no more. And guess what? Reproduction is very expensive for your body. I actually want to read something. Um, this was a study that was done on metabolic balance and energy. And it says situations of negative energy balance increase hunger signals. Okay. So that's like when you're hangry and all of a sudden you just feel like you hit the pantry and you know, the whole bag of paleo puffs is gone in five seconds and you really just wanted like one. Uh, induce food-seeking mechanisms, halt physiological functions that can be spared until energy reserves are restored. Reproductive success requires a minimum threshold of energy reserves owing to the high energetic cost of reproduction and are therefore subjected to very tight regulation by metabolic factors. So what does this mean? It basically is telling us that your body is always analyzing its stress load. And if you, if your brain perceives that your body has too much going on, so it could mean that you're just in the gym all the time. It could mean that you're not getting enough sleep, like you're going to bed super late, you're waking up really early, or maybe you're in front of blue light and blue screen. So your, your brain, like you're not getting these different stages of sleep that are restorative because you've now told your body to suppress melatonin by exposing your eyes to blue light, which suppresses melatonin and continues to elevate cortisol saying, okay, it's daytime, we need to go. All of these different lifestyle habits and patterns are starting to contribute to an excess of stimulation and and demand on your body. And when that happens, the brain says, you know what? We can't really make all of these hormones. And the one that gets hit the hardest is progesterone. Now I told you estrogen, she's like the big sister and she's pretty tough. She can manage a lot of extra stress, but her little sister progesterone, she's, she's a little bit more meek. She's a little bit more quiet. You know, she, things kind of, she, she's way more sensitive and she's going to go cry in the closet and hide away and not be her best self if you've got too much stress going on in your life. So after ovulation in your luteal phase, this is when progesterone seems to struggle for most women. And I see that because women just do the same thing day in and day out. We work our jobs. We drive our kids around. We're buying groceries. We're cleaning our house. We're doing all of these things wearing a million different hats. And a lot of these responsibilities, we can't table them for half of the month. So we just say, oh, everybody else is doing it. We'll figure out a way too." comes at the expense of your hormones. So here's the problem. How do we bring this full circle with fasting? I know I'm kind of, you know, gone down the, the whole rabbit trail here, but here's the thing. If you're menstruating, fasting can be super effective when estrogen is high. 
picture estrogen as a good cortisol stress buffer. It is a hormone that can handle the load. Now, I'm not saying go out there and be like super crazy. Like this is not permission to like really go off the rails, don't sleep and feel like I only have two weeks of the month where I can be 110% and then the other half I'm sucking wind and everybody else is flying past me. No, no, no. Work with your body. But I'm just saying fasting, I think between you know, anywhere from 12 to 14 hours is pretty, you can do it. You also have this threshold, this ability to manage um, insulin a little bit better as well. So use that time in the front half of your cycle to really, you know, push it in the gym. Those are times that you can do it where your body can handle that stress. Once you get past ovulation, though, you've got to be more sensitive. Otherwise, little sister progesterone is going to be affected and she is not going to come out and do what she needs to do. And that's when you start to see spotting. That's when you start to see you know, depression. That's when exactly what the study said, this food-seeking mechanism where you're raiding the pantry and you're looking for chocolate or maybe you're in the salty foods, whatever it is, and it's like, I'm crying, I'm emotional, I'm lashing out at everybody. Progesterone. <laughs> Ladies, it, she is your friend. She will calm you down. But if you are putting too much stress on her, the minute there's too much stress, even fasting is a stress. She is not going to rise the way that she is. She's not going to have a good expression of herself and you will suffer. This also affects fertility. So if you're somebody that's that is struggling with fertility, you've got to honor that progesterone. So don't fast. I think 12 hours is more than enough. And honestly, you may even need to back down because if, you're, if your body is in this stage or state where it feels that it doesn't have food security, you may need to eat something to, to help regulate your blood sugar because the last thing you want to do is, hey, I ate my last meal at 6 p.m. I'm going to go until 6 a.m. Well, you know what? If you're waking up in the middle of the night because you've got cortisol surging because guess what? Your blood sugar just tanked. Then you've got some blood sugar issues and you're going to have to support that. I've had that when I've had way too much stress. I've dysregulated. You become less sensitive to insulin. So now you've got more, which is pro-inflammatory. So now we've got more inflammation, dysregulated blood sugar. All of these things start to, it's like a snowball effect. And all of a sudden you become very metabolically inefficient. And most people think, well, I just need to restrict my diet and I need to work out harder. Both of which both of those two pieces, like I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Those are the very things that tell your brain we are not safe. You have to create safety in your body for you to metabolize any stored fat. So I know this is about fasting, but I'm, I'm touching on a few other things because I think it's really important. So here's what we know. Hormones are expensive for the body. The body will always prioritize steroid hormones like cortisol over your reproductive hormones because you need to breathe, you need to live more than you need to reproduce. Female bodies are cyclical. They do require a different approach because every single day your hormones show up and look a little different. So know that the front half of your cycle, you can extend those fasts if it feels good to you. If you're working out really hard and you're like, well, I'm trying to fast too, but I am by 3 p.m. I'm about ready to just claw my way through the pantry because I can't seem to get full. That should tell you right there you've got some mitochondrial issues, got some blood sugar issues. So you do not want to push fasting any further. If you're working out harder, a lot of times you see working out hard and fasting don't really go all that well together for a lot of people because especially for women, like we need those calories and you especially need to restore those, those glycogen stores. You know, the glucose is what the body really wants and needs to repair tissue. 
And if you've got gut issues, I won't even go down that road, but if you've got gut issues, I mean, forget doing high protein and high fat. Like you, you're not even going to make enough bile. Like uh, there's a whole set of processes like that is just going to make it really, really hard for you to process and convert fat for energy. Hey, Dr. Axe here. Your journey to optimal health hinges on one powerful tool, tracking glucose. Poor glucose control is associated with a number of chronic conditions, not just diabetes, but also Alzheimer's, heart disease, stroke, and more. Levels helps you see how different foods and activities affect your health by giving you real-time feedback using a continuous glucose monitor. For example, Thanks to Levels, I've detected spikes in my blood sugar when I have more than half a cup of fruit at a time. Uncovering the real-time effects of food on my body and then harnessing the power of Levels personalized recommendations has led me and my family to completely overhaul and upgrade our strategies for eating and living healthier lives. To discover Levels for yourself, go to levels.link slash ancient health to get two months free on your membership. I'm not sure how long this offer will last, so be sure to jump on it now. That's L-E-V-E-L-S dot link slash ancient health for two months free on your membership. Okay, so now let's talk about perimenopause. Now, this is kind of in the mid-40s range, and your body is really starting to switch, making progesterone and estrogen from the ovaries, and it's now delegating that hormone job to your adrenal glands. And here's here's what can be really problematic for a lot of women. All of a sudden, like think about all of the years you're raising kids, maybe you're running a household, running businesses, you're doing all of these things, right? Like women, we're like, really out there crushing it in those like 30, you know, 25 to 40 years. But here's what happens. All of a sudden the ovaries are not, they're, they're handing over the job of estrogen and progesterone to the adrenal glands. Well, guess what? The adrenal glands, they're like coming into the finish line thinking, um, you know, we're really tired. Like we've been just trying to keep you alive for a real long time and we're kind of tired. So this is where we start to see some issues. The night sweats the insomnia, the feeling like I'm coming unglued out of my skin. I have wild cravings, dysregulated blood sugar. This is a lot. These are a lot of complaints from women that are perimenopausal. And I'm telling you, I've actually experienced this. I know that I'm 37 when I'm recording this podcast. I actually went through perimenopause and menopause at the age of 31. And I experienced all of this. I was like having heart palpitations in the middle of the night. My hair was falling out, night sweats. I had hypothalamic amenorrhea for eight years. Uh, So this was obviously a really rough valley for my hormones um, and kind of a drought, a season of drought for eight years after I had the first two kids, uh, zero hormones, like zero. I went into full-blown menopause and it was because of a number of different reasons. Now, obviously my hormones are back because I've got a 10-month-old sleeping in the room next to me right now. So I have brought them full circle, but I understand what that feels like. And I do not intend on going through that process again with the same symptoms that I had the first time. So here's here's some tips with fasting and perimenopause. Know that your adrenals are going to have, they're going to be carrying the weight of the burden. So fasting can be supportive for women in perimenopause as long as you do it in a way that feels like your body is not overly stressed. So you need to look at things like what types of food you're eating during the day, how long you're doing your fast, if you're doing them with workouts. Sticking to very nutrient-dense foods and getting enough calories is going to help support your body's fasting cycle. So I think that 
for perimenopause women, not extending your fast past like 14 to 16 hours is really, really key. You, I mean, ladies, like doing one meal a day is just not, it's just not it. Uh, I, I think like unless you get past menopause and that feels something that feels really comfortable for you and maybe you only do it once a week or once a month, I just feel like that's really hard um, and unsustainable for a lot of women. But in perimenopause, you can start to increase the fasting windows. You've just got to be a little bit more sensitive because estrogen, because estrogen and progesterone are falling, you're going to be less sensitive to insulin. And one of the benefits of fasting is that you can actually start to restore some of that insulin sensitivity. Your, your pancreas is making the insulin, but it's not communicating to get the glucose in the cells. And to make that system more responsive, you can bring fasting into the picture. So know that as you come out of this reproductive years, menstrual cycle, really having to be pretty delicate with your hormones because you don't want to disrupt that. It's so healthy for you to have, have those normal ebbs and flows of cycles in those childbearing years. And then when you get into perimenopause, hey, we can start to kick in the fasting. Just be sensitive knowing that that burden falls on the adrenal glands. You're going to have, a, you're going to experience a lot more symptoms, perimenopause symptoms, if you have way too much stress on your life. So evaluate all the buckets, evaluate your responsibilities, evaluate your, uh, your exercise. And maybe you do the intermittent fasting on the weekends when you're not at the gym or you're not waking up early, or you don't have somewhere that you have to rush out the door to be. So that is a couple of tips for you for perimenopause. Now, menopausal women now our body's in a little bit more of a groove. Now we've kind of like navigated the terrain of all of these hormones being uh, fluctuating and on the cyclical nature. And now you're just, now you have less hormone, right? So, but here's the thing, the fasting element will not stress your hormones out and cause them to shut down. So you can bring in fasting and be, and it can be a very effective tool for a lot of women that are menopausal. So use that in that season of life. Again, work up to it. Make sure you're not just out of the gate. You've got to be metabolically flexible. So that's why I think it's actually really helpful to start some of these practices earlier, find how they fit in in small ways. Here's a practical tip. Wherever you're at, Here's a, here's a great way. Evaluate your hunger patterns and hunger cues. If you feel like you can't go more than two, three hours or even four hours without eating something, without you just feeling like I'm going to like, I'm going to pass out, like then we've got some blood sugar issues going on. So pushing fasting can be a goal for you, but it can't be something you do right out of the gate. Now, if you are, if you've got hormone issues and you're like, you know, my horn, my, my, my cycle is like five to six weeks long. Sometimes I have cycle or sometimes I have bleeding or spotting. Fasting is also probably not going to be the first tool I would go to. I think it can help some people hormonally, but it is definitely not the first tool. I'm looking at, let's remove some of the stress barriers and see if the hormones can balance and regulate themselves. And then let's see if we can bring in one or two days of a 12 hour fast. But honestly, 12 hours, that's, that's about it. Now I want to go over a couple of scenarios where fasting would really just not be appropriate at all. And that's for pregnant and breastfeeding women. That makes sense, right? You, you don't want to be restricting calories. Your body is building a human if you're pregnant. And then if you're breastfeeding, there is a really high demand on calories for you to be able to make breast milk. And I've seen this myself. And then I've seen this with other women. As soon as they start bringing in the fasting, their breast milk supply goes down because the body's like, you know what? We don't have the energy. We can't, we can't make as much. So make sure that you are not really pushing any of these fasting uh, tools if you fall in those buckets. The other thing would be as if you have a history of disordered eating uh, because fasting can be kind of a catalyst and just 
throwing you right back into a cycle where it's a really unhealthy relationship with food. You've got to be able to honor and respect your body in this process. So if that's something that's been in your past, then then don't put time-restricted eating windows as an expectation on you because that that very well may end up becoming a much bigger problem for you achieving your health goals. Now, the other the other bucket or category of people that should stay away from fasting or at least work with somebody that is very reputable and reliable in this space is if you're diabetic or you've got some type of um, insulin or high blood pressure or some type of medical issue, um, you would want to work with somebody that can monitor and kind of walk beside you through this because there's probably a lot of small things that you need to be very cognizant of if you were to bring fasting in. So make sure you don't um, take that lightly if you fall in one of those categories. Now, a couple of fasting tips. I'm going to run through these kind of quickly. I hope they help you. One, start with a smaller fasting window. It's much easier to just say, hey, I'm going to just try and do 12 hours. So if you've never done that before, don't start with the expectation of 16 hours. Like, Just start with 12. Go 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. That's usually pretty attainable for most people. Now, the other thing would be incorporate only two fasting days a week in the beginning. So if you're going to do this, again, mind the hormones. Mind the days and the weeks of your cycle. But if you're going to do it, try and pick one or two days. And like I said, plan your exercise appropriately. If it is a heavy lifting day or a high-intensity cardio day, that is not your day to be fasting. You need to be able to plan days where your body is more relaxed. Think about it as a deep clean. Like, Do you want to be do you want to have all of these things on your agenda when you're trying to get your house clean? Like, no, you want to get everybody out of the house. You want everybody to leave the stuff alone and you want to be able to get in there and organize and do all of the cleaning. Like you don't want to have a party that's being thrown in your house at the same time that you're trying to do your deep cleaning. That does that makes absolutely no sense and it's very counterproductive. So that's a little analogy for you that hopefully you'll remember. The other thing is to just keep a journal or just at least be mindful of how you actually feel. If it makes you feel way worse or if you notice, hey, my cycle's getting a little bit wonky, like it was a week later, you know, my ovulation didn't seem to happen or maybe I had painful ovulation, those are all signs that, hey, maybe you've got to You've got to move the needle a little bit on fasting. So that would be a very easy fix. Also look at the foods you're eating. Are they really good foods? Because if you are restricting the window in which you're eating and then you're refueling with foods that are not that beneficial for your body, that aren't full of phytonutrients and amino acids and fiber and protein, all these things, then it's going to be really hard for your body to do any real detoxing and really any cellular cleanup. So let's summarize this. The week leading up to your period is the time that you are hyper, hyper sensitive to stress. That is not the time to fast. If you are going to incorporate any fasting, front half of your cycle, no more than probably 12 to 14 hours at most for cycling women. If you can go longer than that, that's great. I do not personally recommend it though on a day-to-day basis. I just don't think that most women have the threshold and capacity to manage that type of stress every single day for the first two weeks of your cycle. If you're menopausal women, just know that you have naturally lower estrogen and progesterone, you are less sensitive to insulin, and fasting can be incredibly supportive to your brain and to energy, overall energy, and really just keeping your body in a very healthy and regenerative place. Perimenopause, it's gonna be highly 
individual. Know that you can start to bring and pulse fasting a little bit more, but know that your body is making this big hormonal shift from your ovaries really going into full-time retirement, and then you're now offsetting that responsibility to your adrenal glands. Your adrenals have so much of a heavy job, and they've probably just been carrying a huge burden you know, in those earlier years of your life. So I hope that this has provided a little clarity around fasting. Hopefully it doesn't scare you or make you fear using this. I think it can be a highly effective tool if it's used appropriately, but always check in with yourself. That's where we started this episode. That's where I want to end it because you'll be able to understand how to make the best choices for you today because today is going to look different from tomorrow when you start asking yourself, hey, is this how I need to show up? Do I need more nourishment? Do I need to close that window a little bit of fasting? Because I had a really stressful day yesterday. I had a really bad night's sleep last night. Those are questions you can ask yourself that will really give you some confidence in making choices for today. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys. I can't wait to see you on the next one. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.